There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping leaders to cultivate meaning and purpose in the workplace to elicit passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. So I seek out and bring on guests who have a particular perspective, experience, or expertise that I think contributes to or expands this conversation. And as a management consultant and social scientist, I draw on the meaning and work and identity research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as my experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. I hope you caught the show last week. If you missed it live, you could always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Ronan Leonard, who is the founder of eCountability and teaches niche business owners and subject matter experts how to leverage their intellectual property into additional revenue models and increase their industry profile all through the innovative concept of virtual masterminds. We talked about the need for entrepreneurs and business owners to plug into groups of people who have already faced the challenges or problems they currently face and get the support and accountability check they need to realize their visions. He joined us from Melbourne, Australia. It was a great conversation. With us this week is Sharon Dematia. She is the founder of The AIM Project and also a connection and communication expert, human re-engineer, and storyteller. She's just come back from a trip from South Africa in service of her project. We'll be talking about that trip, how The AIM Project was born, and why it is critical in addressing some of today's thorniest global problems. She joins us today from Reno, Nevada. Sharon, welcome to Working on Purpose. Hello, Elise. Great to be here. It is so great to have you. You know, one of the greatest things about getting to host this show, Sharon, is that I stumble into people like you who I otherwise have no business in meeting, and I get inspired and turned on by them, and I get to share them with my listeners. It's amazing. It, it is great. When you get out there, you meet incredible people. Yeah, yeah. And so we're going to get into really one of your latest adventures where you got to meet some great people. But I really want to get first into you, your background and how how this thing was really born. So I want to dive in. I think you're you're an interesting person to me, Sharon, in that you're a scientist turned artist. And we'll get to your previous background and career just a little bit later. But I, I want I want you to tell us, if you will, of, of how and why the AIM project came to be. Well, uh Let's see, it was about six years ago, and um, you know, I was 46 at the time. And much like many of my peers, I had lived a life of, of uh, kind of predictable and meeting the expectations that the system had set for me. I had a master's degree, well, I, I still do. It's not that I had one. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go away. Yeah, I'm uh, educated. I worked a corporate job. I had a big house on a hill, the gated community, three children that went to private school, you know, BMW in the garage, living the, you know, prescribed American dream, and yet had that feeling inside me that was like, there's something missing. There's something I'm supposed to be doing, and I don't know what it is, and I don't even know how to label it. And then it was... You know, and, and I was reading, you know, to try to find out, I was reading books and listening to podcasts, trying to point me in the direction of this purpose that I didn't even know what it was or, or how it existed or how to access it. 
And um, it was through my divorce that uh, that it really shook me up. It was as if my entire operating system crashed. Every foundational belief upon which I based my life, um, it appeared to be untrue. And uh, I was lost. I was completely lost and groundless, uh, like had nothing to stand on anymore. All the stories that I told myself were gone. And... Um, and it was through a conversation with I, it, the identity crisis, right, is, is where I was. The existential crisis of, you know, I don't think it's an unusual thing for women in her mid-40s anymore. And um, so it was a conversation with my youngest son about identity because someone had been calling him names. And in trying to lead him to a greater understanding of who he was, I asked him because he loved to draw. I asked him if he was a blank canvas and I painted his outline on it, how would he fill it? And it led to such an interesting conversation that I was able to guide on just the drive home from school um, that I arrived home last night. And that was the scientist in me that I understand that one of the hardest things to do is find the right question. And this seemed so interesting and uh, sat down that night and poured myself a big glass of wine, and I took out a canvas, and without overthinking it, without allowing my mind to take control, and it was almost like I was in such a dark place that it didn't, I had lost the control from my mind. And I just drew this outline, it came from someplace I don't know, onto the canvas, and it looked like the torso and head of a human. It was just a single line, and then it came to, do I put a heart in it? And there was the part of me that was like, don't put the heart there. That seems so girly and illogical. And hello kitty, and you're none of those things. I had defined myself very logically through my life and, um, and kind of wore that like a badge of honor. You know, I didn't, wasn't ruled by emotion, but I put it there. And as I filled in my own canvas, it started with the things that I knew about myself, creative and intelligent and an athlete and all these things that I felt very comfortable with. But when it came to my heart, um, I paused and I remember it like it was yesterday, the Sharpie in my hand and inside my head, there was a voice that said, right, scared. And another voice that said, you're not allowed to be that, don't do that. And uh, the other voice came back and said, I dare you to do it, you're terrified, write it down. The other voice said, no, pull up your bootstraps and move forward, do not be scared. And it was like my hand was shaking as I overcame that internal battle and wrote scared right over my heart. And from there, I allowed myself every emotion that I had been denying for 46 years. Out came pain, out came loneliness and brokenness and um, vulnerability and fear. And uh, it was only after that then the miracle happened that like flowers suddenly sprouted out of the portrait too and this growth. And it was the best way I can describe it is that I exhaled for the first time in many, many years. And I hadn't even known I was holding my breath. And everything that was tight became loose and it was so powerful. I wanted to share it with the world and started testing and prototyping. My kids did it. 
friends did it, started to grow, and now there's over, you know, we're approaching 6,000 of these portraits. Sharon, that was breathtakingly beautiful, and what a great way to open this conversation. I want to say two things, if I can. First, uh, I think it's really important that our listeners hear what you said, that here you had what on the outside looks like should have been a perfect life, something that everybody aspires to have, and yet you were what was lacking was fulfillment and meaning. And it, what we know, and you as a scientist will get this better than most, is that there is an inverse relation, relationship between wealth and well-being in the world. So the countries that have higher wealth have lower stand, lower um, well-being scores. So And then fulfillment comes with that. So you are illustrating that writ large. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, what a beautiful example you are of a 52-year-old woman who has come into her own and in part thanks to a divorce. And you and I spoke about that on the phone when we were getting our, getting acquainted for this conversation. I'm 53 and I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing now if I was still married. I, it, there, there wouldn't have been a space for me to create that. And it wasn't anything my ex-husband did. I put myself in that box. But I'm so grateful that I got the chance to come and play in this sandbox because this is where I'm supposed to be. And it sounds like you're where you're supposed to be, too. Yeah, and I like that you called it the sandbox. I talk to people about that in the workshops. Is It's this return to the playground. Yes. Um, and even, uh, you know, the playground is where we establish trust and relationships. And we don't ask people where they're from and what they do. We just arrive together and we make things. That's right. You start playing and making things, creating things together. That's right. That's right. So that's exactly, and you and I immediately got that about each other. And I really appreciate that you just right out of the gate shared that with our listeners and opened this conversation in authentic in an authentic way, which is where I want to come to next, by the way. Um, one of the things that really struck me about the way that you write about what you're up to there. Um, is is you get into this basic need, this basic human need for authenticity in a world where it somehow gets sacrificed for survival. Will you say more about that for us? Yeah, and you know, this is something that I absolutely, so these portraits, they're anonymous self-portraits of our internal dialogues. The things that we're afraid to ourselves find their, uh, to say to ourselves and, and to other people, find their way out on canvas. And they teach me a lot. And we have this basic human need to be exactly who we are, you know, to be loved and accepted as who we are. And yet there comes a time and it happens very, very early in life and often from a place of love that a demand is made to become something other than who you are in order to fit in, you know, in, uh, and fitting in isn't belonging, you know, um, and in that sacrifice of authenticity, that's like the first break of our heart. That's, oh, you mean I don't get to be this thing? And, you know, and even me as a parent, um, we have our fears about how our kids are gonna be in the world. What does it mean to be successful? And that definition is also often based on their parents. And so we keep handing down these stories and expectations that aren't really necessarily realistic or, um, or ideal for that child. And so we start to become who we think we're supposed to be instead of who we truly are. And that very act of fitting in blocks us from what we really want, which is to belong. And um, there's no, we don't trust anymore. You look at business, you know, we demand authenticity and transparency and we want to work for people that we trust. And yet if you run the surveys and look at them, we don't believe our leaders are authentic. 
We certainly have huge trust problems in business, and the cost of that is productivity, efficiency, and um, profit, you know, um, and well-being at the end of the day. You know, we don't feel good. We're not engaged in our lives and relationships. Yeah. So true. I, I so true. And, I, you know, for me, Sharon, and you and I spoke about this is part of what I'm up to in, in, in life is to be able to help awaken the possibility of what an, what an amazing life people really can have. Because I do see a lot of people walking through life completely dead. Monday through Friday, the switch is off. Then they turn on maybe Friday night at about 530. And part of what I'm up to is to help them see the magic and wonder and the possibility and how great their overall life can be, including work. Well, it's true because in that, it's like we agree to a life of fear, you know, arguably and today's election day and look at our election campaigns, you know, they're run off of fear and disconnection. Yep. Um, and when fear rules the narrative, um, it squashes our possibility because we're afraid to speak. I mean, fear yes. shuts down communication. And even if you plug in at 530 at night on a Friday with your partner, how honest and trusting is the dialogue even there? Quite often, some of the loneliest places in the world are our marriages, and um, that's so true. So, yeah. So, I want to really presence this for our, our listeners because what you're getting at is just really so important, and that's why one of the reasons I wanted to feature you on the show, Sharon, is because I think you're up to some really important work in addressing some really awful, terrible global problems, and so. And you've written about this in a way that I can't really speak to, so I want you to help me out here. But you talk about this this battle, this internal battle between craving authenticity but feeling driven to be accepted into the tribe to survive, like you spoke about before. And you say that that becomes our external war as judgment, cynicism, and fear that leads to anxiety, depression, and aggression. Did I get that right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, this disconnect within. So when yeah, yeah. from ourselves, it doesn't feel good feels really bad. In the portraits, what you see is the hearts, they grow shadows, they get put in cages, they become thorny, they get completely scribbled out, they get walls built around them. And this starts happening in middle school. And so it's like if I was to draw a parallel between, um, like, we, we crave connection, right? We design our lives around digital connections. We go to coffee shops, we buy houses, we go on vacation based on the fact that we can connect. And yet we've unplugged for our own personal power source, you know, the heart. And it's it's all walled in and our, our system is sluggish and not running and it's clogged. And yet we tolerate it. Um, we tolerate what we wouldn't tolerate from, you know, like our phones, oh my gosh, that sends us over the edge. So the very connection that would define a meaningful life is missing. And that doesn't feel good. The mouths get stitched shut. That's super common. They're gagged. They're stitched shut. The eyes are closed. They're dripping tears. In high school, it says, I'm fine, right over a mouth that is stitched shut with a noose around its neck. I mean, it's vivid, and it's redefining what is at risk. So when you don't feel good inside... It, you can't feel good outside. You, you're wearing this suit of armor everywhere that's heavy. You're dragging yourself from place to place, trying to put on this happy face. Susan David calls it, um, she wrote a book called The uh, Emotional Agility. She calls it the tyranny of positivity. And mm -hmm. so we do not allow our authentic voices to speak, all of them, every emotion. And in that disconnection now, um, 
We judge others that do. We think they have what we want. And of course, we actually have everything we need. We were born with it. We've just forgotten. Um, and so like the outward journey has to turn inward. We're so focused on what we can see outside. And yet there's this infinite wonderland on the inside that will set you free. It's nothing on the outside that's, that removes the cage. It's all within. Mm. And if that makes sense. So, it, yeah. It does. And beautiful. Um, beautiful way for us to be able to presence, for you to be able to presence really kind of where this came from and the suffering that's happening in the world that you've experienced, that you've seen in others. So that's the first part of our conversation. Let's take a quick break. And then after the conversation, let's get into what you're doing at the AIM Project, the what and the how. Okay. I'm I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Sharon Dematia. She is the founder of the AIM Project and also a connection and communication expert, human re-engineer, and storyteller. She's just come back from a trip to South Africa in service of her project. She joins us today from Reno, Nevada. We've been talking a bit about the problem that she's trying to address. After the break, we're going to talk about her project and how she aims to help solve some of those problems. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Sharon Dematia. She's the founder of the AIM Project and also a connection and communication expert, human re-engineer and storyteller. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So Sharon, before the break, we were talking a bit about some of the instances, some of the things that have elicited your your drive, your purpose to create the AIM Project. And I really want to help our listeners understand some of the statistics that you've been able to surface around the issues that you're trying to address. Will you share some of that data with us? Sure. So um, when we talk about this disconnection um, from ourselves, uh, you know, this is in the internal war or, you know, the internal battle becoming the external war. This is really evidenced in the fact that depression has become the number one cause of global disability. You know, shockingly, you are better off smoking 15 cigarettes a day than being lonely. And loneliness can be perceived as either um, uh, real or, you know, I'm alone together kind of thing or perceived loneliness or social isolation is the um, scientific term for it. But um, it's an epidemic. Cigna just published a study on the epidemic of loneliness and that one and only, only like one in four people, they don't, they don't have any confidants. They have no one to talk to. This feeling of being alone. Uh, suicide rates have increased by 30% since 1999. And shockingly, I, one of the biggest drivers is when you look at our teenagers. And if you just look at uh, high schoolers, so ninth through 12th grade, um, if I 
there's it's a total of 38% is the total that in the next 12 months will seriously consider um, suicide. They will make a plan or an attempt. So the breakdown goes like 17, 13, and 8% um, or an attempt. So they'll consider, they'll make a concrete plan or an attempt to end their lives. And that doesn't include the cutting and all the other different negative expressions um, that they experience. And if you translate that into numbers, just in California and Nevada alone, it's 797,540 high school students will feel that disconnected that they will want to consider ending their lives in the next year. And wow. so part of my thought is if this was a virus and a physical virus in our system, and we could see it, I mean, look what we do for the bird flu or mosquitoes, right? We're tracking it all. And we've got our top scientists on it and we're demanding immunizations for things, for whooping cough and such. And yet, what are we doing? You know, this is such a scary thing that we push it away. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't want to talk about it. This is emotions and um, it's killing us, it's killing our kids. The very people that are responsible for creating our future are sick. And if they don't die from it in high school, it's going to affect the rest of their lives, every relationship they have, whether it be personal or professional. And we must act now. We must. Can't push it away anymore. I think that the way that you have explicated the problem is is un- unfortunately enormous. And I, I really, I'm very keenly aware of, of of some of these numbers myself, which is part of the reason that I'm out to help people find meaning and purpose and inspiration in their lives, because it helps counterbalance that whole empty vacuum of lack of connection, et cetera. And so the work you're doing is all the more hugely important, Sharon. Um, so let's talk a little bit about just quickly about your background, because I want that to be a basis of what when we talk about your project, what you're doing there. So looking at you, you are a beautiful woman, you are very fit, you scream vitality, you take good care of yourself, you clearly are in touch with your emotions, you have this great scientific background, and now we're getting into the artist space. And so will you share just a bit about your scientific background and how you made the switch to become both scientist and artist? Sure. So um, first off, my dad is a physicist, and you know I was raised in logic, you know, <laughs> was very logical and um, and then when I went to school I have a master's in kinesiology and applied physiology and I did I worked in an integrative vascular biology lab where we did human subjects research we uh, did infusion studies in the brachial artery um, infusing different vasoactive agents and measured nitric oxide bioavailability uh, vasodilation aging hormone replacement therapy gender basically, yeah, like how do our arteries work? And um, I spun the blood down, ran the assays, did the um, research for the grants that we needed to run the, fund the projects. So basically, I lived a life of logic, um, prediction, and measurement. And what I've learned, and when the scientist came in, I mean, the artist came in at that place where all of that failed me where I learned that everything that mattered most in the world really was illogical, difficult to predict, and nearly impossible to measure. How do you measure love? It's infinite. You know, we don't even like the, you know, we like to think about an infinite universe, but it's hard to think about infinite love. And it is. 
You know, it is it is that, and it's that which matters. Mm. Sharon, that's so beautiful. So, to me, the way you encapsulated that is you've, you're describing what I would like to call a full human being, somebody who is able to tap into the logic, the rationale, the scientific, as well as the spirit and the emotion and, and, and still live in the question mark that says, I don't have to have the answers for everything. Right. The freedom for me came in being wrong. Oh my gosh. You mean I get to be wrong? Yes. There is so much freedom in not knowing, Um, embracing the mystery. We love it in our movies and books, but when it comes to our lives, we, it's like we want to read the last page. We want to have the whole script. <laughs> no one's going to end before we even embark on it. And how boring is that? And that is tragic because yes. this is all we've got. Yes, is, it is tragic. Yes. We talk about it differently, not as fear, but as embracing the mystery, living on the edge of it. You know, we like to look at that at other people, but why not ourselves? Mm-hmm. On the other side of fear, you got to walk through it, not away from it. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. So, so now that we've sur- we surfaced a bit about your background, and I, the reason I wanted to do that in part, Sharon, is because obviously I know you better than my listeners do so far, mo- most of my listeners, and I can see you, and I want to make sure that they understand that we're not just talking about some fluffy topic here. This is really important stuff. And you as a scientist are bringing to bear that background as well as everything else you've learned from the emotional, spiritual place. And I think that's just, and and artistic space. I think it's really important that our listeners understand that you're coming at this from what I've considered to be a pretty complete package. So that's the reason I wanted to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, yes, for sure. I think that that's a big part of my value is that, um, I've lived both sides of a lot of different coins and, um, and that I bring that all into what I do now. I, mm. I, I've lived a lot of worlds and I'm really grateful that I have because I can stand in front of a lot of different groups of people and connect where they are. I know just how they feel. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can speak their language. Mm-hmm. And and sure. so so now when I look at the AIM project, uh, and mind you, I have a, a ton to learn about that, and I'm learning as we talk on the on, in this conversation. But it seems to me, and you correct me where I'm wrong, that the AIM project is part movement, part thought leadership, part real world workshops. So what's the purpose of the AIM project, and how do you like to talk about it? Yeah, it that took a while because it was so big. How do I fit it into a sentence? But and especially what I do. So people always want to know where are you from and what do you do. And um, it was easy to say I was a scientist, right? And, um, but now what I realize, what I do is I give people permission and a space to be themselves. And the purpose of the AIM project is break, to break down the walls that we build within ourselves, between each other, and open these dialogues on the other side of our fear. And, you know, the global vision is to, you know, turn the whole world into this gallery of our shared humanity where we are accessing the power within our diversity instead of letting fear push us away come together and in that space that fearless courageous space we will create solutions for the that are you know for this expanding world that is arguably really chaotic and confusing right now mm. 
Agreed. I I certainly agree it's chaotic and confusing, and we're both up to work to try to address that. And so to that end, we've been waiting and waiting. I've been waiting and waiting to hear about your stint in South Africa. You and I spoke before you went to South Africa uh, for the project. So tell us about how this visit to South Africa happened, how it came about, and what happened while you were there. Tell us. I went with an organization called Amplify Africa, which was a group um, in the U.S. that was organized by an expat, so a woman uh, that grew up in South Africa that now owned a business in um, in Reno. And her vision was to kind of create this co- cross-cultural networking um, uh, community. And so we worked with, we did a women's summit in Stellenbosch, and we worked with, oh my gosh, the most incredible people from people, uh, women flew in from Zimbabwe, and we had those uh, from Uganda, and a transgender entrepreneur from Bella Bella Township um, that, you know, it was incredible. Um, all the people that came together, we worked at different foundations within Cape Town, a um, primary school within a township in the Northwest um, Territory. And uh, we just, they blew my mind. I had just my mind absolutely blown because, you know, there they are really collaborative. They have to find solutions. So they're only 24 years post-apartheid. So it's a very new dynamic. Um, and in order really to survive, we they, they have to come together, especially women and then women of color. They have to come together and in a way that they come up with creative approaches to business and everything there is about social impact. Everything is about empowering education so they can rise above this story that they've been living. And um, they dance, they sing, they do all the things that we, it's like we've forgotten how to do that. You know, we stand against walls at our dances and these guys are out there dancing and talking and hugging. And, um, and it's not, I just, it flips on its end, this idea of who's the teacher and who's the student. You know, they would sit there and think that we had everything. We have all these resources. We have wealth and education and all of these things, yet we are disconnected. We've lost community. We've stripped ourselves of social bonding. Um, We don't dance and we don't sing so much, you know, anymore. We're afraid to. So um, they almost have what we want and we have what they want, you know. And so opening up and learning from each other, you know, sharing these resources is just part of the vision. They were so inspiring. You know, one little girl stood up in front and told her story and she said, I have wings and I fly. Oh. You do, and I can be whatever I want. And, um, and she can, she can, when you believe that you can, and then we hear stories about that all the time. It's absolutely incredible and inspiring. There was one boy at the school that stood up and looked at me and the women I was with from the U.S. and said, do you like to be with black people? And it was like, this is a dream come true. It's a dream. I'm so inspired by um, and grateful for the opportunity to, to be with everybody in a place beyond the judgment that I used to have. Because I used to have it. I mean, I lived it too. I didn't know. Um, 
And yeah, they are our teachers. They teach me all the time. And I'm so grateful for that. How beautiful. How absolutely beautiful. And so what was the format? Was it was it a workshop? Was it a conference? Was it a conversation? It was all of those. Like at the, the Women's Summit, we had speakers. We had, um, it was uh, two and a half days, really. So different speakers um, from both South Africa and the U.S. spoke on topics. Um, I talked about what I do. And then, uh, and just storytelling that's how we connect right here <laughs> this is um that's how we connect and make sense of our world so a lot of different um entrepreneurs uh, that have been successful and pushed past their fear the theme was um pushing your boundaries on the other side of fear um so and then the next day we did um we did we did portraits and um then talked about them and that's what happened in, we went to a place called Kids Positive where um, the next day where uh, women that are all HIV positive, they create, you can see some of the beadwork here, they create beaded artwork, um, including things you can use like lanyards for meeting, their meetings and such, they're beautiful. And they do it and it raises money for their healthcare and to support their families. And, um, and then we went to the Amy Foundation, the same thing. It's teaching women um, from these townships that don't have much how to sew and be resourceful and giving them the tools that they need to, to grow. And they too, you know, again, we just sat and we told stories and we used art as that medium of expressing ourselves and feeling good about the places that we are and, and setting some goals for where we're going. Um, the school was amazing, amazing. A classroom of 60 kids, one teacher. And that was probably the most inspirational. The energy in that room was amazing. They have their artwork. I've also done it in Kenya. It has messages like mouth to the speechless. I will live a life without regret. Um, yeah, I want to give back. All that matters in a human being's heart is the type of seeds that are planted. Their hearts aren't in cages or thorny. Um, they don't have shoes on their feet. Many of them have lost their parents, but they come together in a different way. That is absolutely gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Oh, Sharon, on that note, let's grab a quick break, our, our last break here, and then I want to get I want to ask you one other question about your experience there. So hold on, hold your hold your thought and your heart for just a moment. I'm your I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Sharon Dematia, who is the founder of the AIM Project, and she is also a communication uh, excuse me, a, a connection and communication expert, human reengineer and storyteller. She's just come back from South Africa in service of her project. She joined us today from Reno, Nevada. After the break, we're going to get more into where this project is going and how maybe you can help. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. 
This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Sharon Dematia. She's the founder of the AIM Project and also a connection and communication expert, human re-engineer, and storyteller. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Sharon, there's, I'm sure, so much more you could tell us about that trip in South Africa. And I'm quite certain you're going to be processing that experience for some time. But I'm really interested to hear, what did you really take away from that experience? Well, it really confirmed a dream beyond what I could imagine. Mm. Um, you know, I what I've learned is that whatever it is that we believe about ourselves will determine how we experience our lives. So it's really important to know what we believe. Mm. And through this project, you know, I, I say there's this shared humanity, this story that is behind our skin that, um, that, you know, we are all connected. We are all the same. We just want to be love and belong as exactly who we are to be able to become what we imagine or believe or dream about, um, or at least work towards it. But when we recognize that shared space, um, and in these portraits, you see, you just see all the emotions on the display that make us human, um, this integrated human like we talked about, there is nothing we can't do. When the power held within our diversity and what we can accomplish from a place of love and compassion rather than allowing fear to silence our voice and our possibility is beyond measure or anything that we can imagine. You know, like when I say my mind was blown, my mind is blown and I'm so encouraged by what I saw and what I continue to see here in the United States. These kids that I work with here, they want to contribute. They want to be more than the story that we're telling. I so appreciate what you're what you're saying. And I do want to say something, and this is just my perspective. You certainly may not agree with it, but when you talk about coming into a space and, and really navigating it from love and compassion, I think that generally is more of a position that more women than men would take. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that women make great leaders is we bring something to the party that that and men bring great things to the party too. This is not to say that they don't. We just do it differently. I couldn't help noticing when, when I went to go cast my ballot today at the voting polls that the vast majority of people running for office today are women. In my state, down here in Dallas, Texas, I was amazed by that. So I just really want to applaud that you're putting out there into the universe this whole place of, of, of love and appreciation and seeing what's possible in people. I am too. And I, I think it's really important to help heal some of the suffering in, in the world today. Well, thank you, Elise. I, I do agree with you. And um, one of the things that I've been told and one of my fears was actually to say the word love. Yes. Like, oh, my gosh, what will people think if I say love and compassion? Oh, my gosh, empathy. They're going to think I'm so emotional. And that we have actually used the emotion as a way to silence people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They want this stripped down logical world. And yet, it's not serving us. Look at the statistics. It does not serve us. Creativity and innovation come from the soul, and it's a little messy sometimes, but um, but we don't have to be afraid of it. You can be confused. You can have pain. 
You can have all those things and love them because that's what makes us human. That's <laughs> that's the experience, you know. Well, and to your point, um, I have a, a friend who 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 is very much in about authenticity, Kimberly Davis, who wrote Brave Leadership, and she talks about how. You know, it you do put yourself out there in the world when you are authentic, and it does take bravery of sorts to do that. And and I agree with that. And it's so worth it. It's so worth it. But it does take something from us. Well, Brene Brown says, I mean, my first portrait when I um, displayed it, because I displayed it and I had a party and I had everyone come look at my fear. And I had a quote from Brene Brown that said, um, you know, and this is six years ago, and it said, um, owning your story uh is the bravest thing that you could ever do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, you know, you have to, like, it's courageous. That is, courage is defined by risk, uncertainty, and vulnerability. Um, you got to be comfortable with not knowing what's going to happen, and you have to take that risk because the reward is your freedom. The reward for the risk of letting yourself be seen is freedom, and that's yeah. what we all want. We fight for it. Yes, on both sides of the aisle, too, by the way, both for it and against it. (laughs) Um, Well, I want to talk about where this bus is going, right? So you've got some really amazing strong wind under your sails here already in the AIM project. And I know you care deeply. You're in this. I got that. You've got curiosity. You're all about really in there. And the love is totally there. I can totally see that. I love that you're all about expanding the field of human possibility and freedom. So where do you want to see the AIM project go? Well, okay, so what I love about it is it doesn't exist except for the energy and the participation of the nearly 6,000 people now that have created and shared their stories in a really raw way. Um, It's a lot of energy, and I've had a lot of support, but most of it has been self-funded. You know, I went and I pretty much sold everything because with each hug, it was like, I can't give this up and I keep doing it. So, but it's time for us as communities to step forward. I have a whole curriculum that I bring into schools. I just worked with the most incredible marching band in um, Phoenix, Arizona, and they chose for their show theme, their competition theme was called uh, Behind the Mirror. And it was all about depression. Mm. And it was incredible to work with these kids for three hours to read. They wrote what, you know, I asked them to notice and wonder and what do you want people to know? And um, they talk about like revealing themselves. Like I've never said this to people before. I'm confused. I want you to know I want help, you know, and they're begging for it in their portraits. So it's really important that we support these kids, let them know they're not alone, let them, um, keep them connected to themselves because that is the best way to navigate the chaos is create this self-aware integrated whole person that despite all the um all the pulling in the different directions has a place a centered place a compass an internal compass with which to navigate it so that curriculum is really important and um and so we have to move energy in that way uh bringing me to organizations and schools that's great. Funding them. I have a Patreon a site where people, for as little as a dollar a day, five dollars a uh, a dollar a month. I'm sorry, five dollars a month. A cup of coffee a month by some people. Yeah, this is important to me. I care about everyone's at risk. Six and a half million high school students will consider, make a plan, 
or an attempt to kill themselves this year? Do you have five dollars to put towards this solution that I'm creating, this human net that holds itself? Because if you have to go with an ad-based model or I've got to look to corporate funding, they're shaping the project. And I believe that we should shape the project. I want to listen to and interact with the people um, that the project is. I'm just the conduit. I'm the spokesperson. So, um, so if you go to my Patreon site, which is patreon.com, uh, the AIM project, you can interact with me there. Send me messages. Subscribe. It's a subscription-based model. Please join me. You can keep living your life. You can keep doing what you do. But throw a little energy this way because it will expand exponentially. Beautiful. That is so well said and articulated, Sharon. Gorgeous. So we're getting very close to being out of time here. Um, it, it's very clear to me that you are living and working from purpose. And of course, you know, what I'm trying to do is help others awaken to that possibility for themselves as well. So help our understand, help our listeners understand what is that experience like? What does it feel like? What's it like to live and work on purpose? You know, what I've learned is that everything that we've ever imagined in our lives lies on the other side of our fear. We just have to tell a different story about it. And continually over, I would never go back over and over again. Um, you know, as little as seven years ago, I never could imagine this dream that I'm living. I'm pinching myself, you know, like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? Like this exists and it does. And it's right next to you. Like it's not parallel. It's not this, um, it's not one leads to this, to this. You just have to look that far. You just have to open the door just next to the one that you keep going through. There's this other door and then there's six mores. And so there's kind of like this parallel existence that is accessible to all if you're willing to just be courageous and walk through your fear. Not to ignore it, but through it. And it is the most incredible experience to feel that what you do has some sort of impact on somebody thinking just a little bit differently about themselves um, in a way that it leads them to a better future possibility. There is nothing better in the world. Nothing. Mm. You know, for me, it gives me, and I think you're talking about this, it gives me courage to do things that I would just never have done before by living and working in purpose. The energy is totally different. I, it, it, I, I'm amazed by how long and hard I can work. And, and what I go after. And and then there's also this strange confidence that comes with that. It's just that I know I'm being governed from a place of purpose, and I trust that. And it's incredibly centering. Yeah, you know, there's this thing about trust and faith. We talk about it, and yet we don't practice it. And we are parts of nature. We are not separate from it. And a tree just courageously grows wherever its seed lands. You know, we have the greatest of freedom and choice. And... Um, we can be courageous in that expression of everything that we are, you know. Um, we just have to grow and spread our wings, you know, fly. Like metamorphosis, you know, the kind of cliche uh, caterpillar to the butterfly doesn't know it's going to fly the first time. It just spreads its wings and does it. And that's what we're meant to do if we can get out of our own way. Yes, ma'am. I agree with that. And here we are. I, I, I like to give my guests the last word, if you will, Sharon. You've said so many wonderful things, but say in about 30 seconds, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I am really grateful for this moment that I've spent here with you, Elise, for the support that I've had and the connections 
and the, the people that have contributed to what I've done. And I, I encourage you to become a part of something bigger than yourself because it will lead you to where you never could have imagined you could go. It's incredible. Thank you for all your support. Thank you for sharing your beautiful heart, soul, and mind with us today and sharing your energy, what you're up to with the AIM Project, letting us know how we can help and get involved. Sharon, thank you for being a guest. Thank you, Elise, for having me. I really appreciate it. If you want to learn more about Sharon Dematia or the AIM Project, visit the website. It's theaimproject.net. Again, theaimproject.net. Next week, we'll be on the air with Phil Sotuk of DPMC North America to learn why companies and leaders need to pay attention to purpose and how some are unleashing it to produce increased commitment and motivation within within the organization and to improve financial results. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.